I'm Maor, CEO and co-founder at Incremental. Welcome to Podrick the Podcast, the incremental podcast that stops for nothing. This is our latest series, We're All Mad Here. We interview people from the marketing industry sharing their opinions and views. Our interviews are unscripted and unrehearsed, keeping things natural and real. In this interview, I had the opportunity to talk with Lucina Stolz, who is a growth manager at Trade Republic, one of the fastest growing mobile trading apps in Europe. Lucina brings a fresh perspective to growth marketing, challenging the ways of the past and coming up with creative ways to operate in a privacy-first world. I enjoy this interview myself and hope you will too. Hello, Lucina. Hi. How are you? Good. Um, yeah. I just got a vitamin B12 shot this morning, so I think I'm very energized now. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Nice. How are nice. you? I think I need... I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm in Israel right now, which is like, again, it's like the first time I actually visit the office. And the, the community people here at WeWork were very excited because I'm like a co-founder and like they, they know me, but I've never been here. I've not been here in two and a half years uh, to the country. And you've talked and... to the WeWork people before. No, actually, I did not. My co-founder handled it. So yeah, it's kind of like wild. And I also meet like people who've been working with us like in the company for more than a year for the first time. Yeah, I guess that's very exciting. I like meeting people in person, actually. So yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I, I personally so much so so prefer the work from home mentality. Like if I, if I could just not meet people and do the Zoom thing forever, I'm fine. No, I really don't. I really, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, need people in front of me. So, so uh, maybe starting this interview, you want to uh, give an introduction on yourself and what you do and also how you got to where you are. That's also as interesting. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Lucina. I work for Tri Republic, which for those who don't know Tri Republic is um, a Berlin startup, not so small anymore, actually. But um, yeah, and it's basically an app product that lets you invest your money. Um, and I work in the growth um, department, so growth marketing, that's what I do. Um, I started, I think, one and a half years ago, so not so long. And I, I, I basically got there a bit by accident. So um, I studied more something into the social science direction. So I did like partly management, but then also a lot of political science. Uh, and we had a project back then that was about predicting like political crises. Um, yeah, and that's how I got into this whole data cosmos in a way. Um, and um, our professor back then also recommended a book about Google Trends and how much you can basically read from uh, like human uh, psychology from um, Google searches. And that really sucked me in. I was super interested. Uh, and then I needed to do an internship. Uh, and basically, when I applied, I didn't really know which kind of marketing role that would be. It was very general. And I was just, okay, it sounds like an interesting company. Um, marketing seems always sounds a bit like something that you could be doing. It doesn't sound super specific from the knowledge part. So I applied for an internship. Uh, yeah. And then when I found out that it was very, that it was kind of data-driven marketing, um i was super sucked in and i wanted to do it and now one and a half years later um yeah yeah i am doing growth marketing at republic i'm it's, happy it's about that yeah yeah it's amazing we all kind of like roll into this industry by accident not really knowing what the hell this is and then it's um i was just speaking about it earlier as well with someone it's like the amount of data it's like a playground for any 
any person who likes connecting data and it's like a, it's interesting because like you know it's like you, you take it from other areas like, like uh, uh, sociology for example and here you can kind of like conduct experiments in human beings without them knowing and it's not it's not unethical because we're playing with excel or like you know tableau or whatever data uh, data solution we're using for analytics yeah i mean i think it's very psychological all of marketing in a way um, and then also it's interesting that they eventually picked up on the methods, like the scientific methods that, um, yeah, sciences like psychology use. Um, yeah, so. There, there is a generic question that I ask in this interview series. Uh, I always ask it, let's see if you give us a surprising answer. Do you think marketing is an art or a science? Uh, yeah, I mean, you sent this question, I was thinking about it. Um, and I do think it's, it's an art, but that kind of wants to be science in a way. So I think, I don't know, you don't get anywhere very far if you don't look at it from this odd angle, I would say, because everything's changing all the time. And you do have methods, of course, and you do have measurement and you have all this, like this toolkit, like you do have it in, in science with methodologies. Um, but then at the same time, I mean, marketing is about persuading people and it's not, it's not so easy, like, how do you talk to people and how do you tell them that, hey, I have a product that might be a good fit for you that might make, I don't know, add something to your life um, because there's so much out there, right? There's so much like marketing messaging flowing around and how do you actually talk to those people? And I think there's always storytelling involved in that. Um, and if you can have the best data scientists and like the best numbers, the most accurate ones. Um, and they help you, of course, understanding this human psychology aspect that we talked about. But in the end, if you don't have ideas on of how to talk to the people, then in the end, I think you're, you're still lost. So I think the science, like the supporting aspect, but without the art, you, you wouldn't get anywhere. So I would go with the art answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're the first one, by the way. Really? Yeah, which is cool because you surprised me uh, because it's like, you know, people call it quantifiable art, uh, data-driven art, um, or some people are just like completely into the science of things. I would say undervaluing the creative part of it. And I think that even if, you're, even if you're, your job within this industry is data science, it's much about the art because at the end, it's like often what we do um, when it comes to decision-making ends up with our gut feeling and even this gut feeling comes from an understanding of either how we think people will react to what we're doing um, or is based on an idea that we have if we try of course case we fail and luckily we're not dealing with the uh, rocket science or brain surgery yeah yeah that's true <laughs> just a, just a lot of so. money just a lot of money yeah yeah but it's, but it's true like people look at measurements and they're like oh this is completely objective or how they approach it and they assume themselves to be these like objective robots that approach the experiments but none of us are and i guess that's also why we add value because otherwise machine could do it right if it would just be the analyzing part so yeah we're gonna get to some uh, measurement questions later but maybe uh, again so you've been in this industry like uh, almost for two years now. And what piece of advice would you give anyone entering this industry, regardless of like what type of company they're joining, whether if it's an ad platform or the demand side, like is an advertiser essentially, what advice would you give people? 
I mean, I think I'm, I'm fairly new in the industry. Um, and I, looking back now uh, on these one and a half years, I think I had like, with many things, I had the right intuition in the beginning. Like I remember, for example, one of my very first meetings that was like introduction into paid search. Uh, and I was explaining like the concept of brand search. So basically you pay a lot of money for people that are already searching for your, your company or your product. And I, I was asking the question, like, why are we paying for that? And because from my own user behavior, like I, I know that I would barely click on an ad when I specifically look for a certain product. I just know that I want to get to that certain product. And also if we look at like the top searches, for example, they're all of people like, I don't know, looking for Facebook logins, looking for YouTube, but they still Google it, but they just want to get to that specific um, platform or product. And I don't think that if you have a Vimeo ad there in between, you would, but you're looking for YouTube and you already know the, the product, you would then, oh, let's check out Vimeo. I mean, we know that this happens, but still like the amount of money that is paid for that, like that surprised me, for example. And then, but then there's this whole industry built around it that wants you to believe that like you can get better and better with more and more accurate data and like here and there um and i would say like yeah qu question like to question these kinds of things that are presented to you because of course there's a lot of money flowing around and everyone wants like a piece of that and to really question what makes sense and what doesn't like because yeah something like incrementality makes a lot of sense in my opinion but uh I was really surprised when I found out about it that I only then found out about it and not earlier. So, um, and other solutions are super omnipresent everywhere. Um, so I guess, I, th I think that's what I would say as a piece and of it, advice. It, it's funny, I remember when I met uh, you and the Trade Republic team for coffee in one of the evenings a couple of months ago. And again, I didn't know that you guys were already thinking about it and were fairly like looking for solutions. And I remember talking with you about search and saying that like, you know, search for me is a very philosophical question. On the, on the one hand, Google is probably the best ad platform in the world because it allows you to target intent. Like, hey, I'm looking for a Ferrari. Boom, here's an ad for Ferrari, okay? On the other hand, you're targeting intent. Like I'm already looking for a Ferrari. Why waste money advertising for me if I'm looking for a Ferrari? Yep. And it's uh, it's a it's a crazy philosophical question that you know I don't have a personal answer. Like I've seen, by the way, I've seen brand keyword campaigns that are creating incrementality, brand keyword campaigns that are completely cannibalizing, and brand keyword campaigns that are potentially a waste of money. But it's like you know, it's like someone needs to dictate the strategy. Do we want to be first? on Google when someone Googles our name. Yep. Yeah, but that's more of a tax, right? That you pay to be on, on top. It's not really, uh, so it's always a question also, where, where do you add value and where do you basically just try to like fight with others to stay on top? Um, you know, I, I once had a call, I once spoke with Richard Hawkins, he used to be the CMO for King.com, like the company behind Candy Crush. Mm -hmm. He left recently, so and they got sold, so I'm, I'm allowing myself to kind of like mention the story. And he was telling me that, that they off, like obviously used to bid on Candy Crush as a keyword. And then it reached a point where the cost per install was more than $30 for this keyword. And he basically said, you know what, if someone of one of my competitors is willing to pay $30 per install, they're never gonna make the money back. You know what, fuck it, let them have it. 
So he stopped doing brand keywords, which was, you know, maybe kind of like a brand marketer's ego hit. But on the other hand, he said, like, why waste money on something that I would be getting for free? Yeah, and especially if your brand is so strong, like, I mean, like, I guess the pants a bit and in some cases can make sense because if people are not sure what they're looking for, they heard about this app, no, about investing, but then they see another app. Yes, okay, that might be a case. And I'm not saying it never makes sense, um, but yeah, it still makes sense to question how much sense does it make and how much money you should put into it. And then also it's not comparable to, I don't know, numbers that you see from other platforms that are maybe bad creating intent, so. So I have a question that's kind of like very much related to Trade Republic and fintech in general. Like fintech basically has exploded, okay, in the last decade specifically. But like obviously we've been in the internet era for let's say good internet for the last 20 plus years. What do you think mobile did that websites didn't do? Um, I think in a way it's it's just accessible. Like, and it just, it also becomes more of a uh, talking point. Like I remember having dinner with friends and us like talking about, I don't know, a certain company or a certain stock and me just being like, oh, I should really buy this stock. Like after, I mean, of course you should also look into the numbers, but if you know a company that you like and you're like, oh, okay. And then you just go to your your phone and, and you can do it. Um, I think also in a way when it comes to, to brokers at least, uh, mobile kind of forces you to simplify um, so if, if you presume that people are sitting in front of the computer, you have this wide interface basically where it can add lots of details. And I know that also some people really want that, but a lot of people don't want that complexity. They actually want the simplicity that can fit into a phone screen. Um, and I think with topics that are often looked at as, as complicated, um, I think that that really helps to have it in your pocket and on this limited uh, space yeah yeah that makes sense and I think by the way simplification indeed is probably harder than giving all the details possible and hey you figure it out and indeed when I think of myself you know trying to if I wanted to buy shares through my bank uh, it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare when I think of an app that kind of like again forces your company to build the user experience and user interface it's so simple so straightforward it uh, massively removes the complexity um, and indeed allows companies like yourself to become mega successful mega fast which is very much related to my next product money product so any fintech product does require consumer trust okay maybe there is like a, a herd mentality you know a lot of people start doing it so everybody starts doing it but but still um like for anyone to give anyone access to their bank account or financials and so on it's like they need to trust it and how does your marketing activities help contribute to the trust factor of the consumer um well i mean in a way of course we also try to to message that so if if we tell people hey like a lot of others are already investing with us uh like uh, there's this the social factor right that we seem to be safe we also licensed bank so that's something um where we're very strictly regulated which is also can be like such a pain but of course it adds a lot of trust and also security for the customer in the end um so that's also something that we communicate but then I think maybe it also goes beyond what you communicate to the user. And in the end, if you 
achieve some sort of variety through marketing where, where people talk about the product and then when you go out and you find people that actually already have the product so you have it on your mind because it's viral in a way and then I don't know uh, especially in Berlin like I mean lots of people who, who use the product when I say where I work uh, and it's always nice to have a chat and if you can achieve that of people that don't I don't know already use the product or don't work there but saw an ad for example um, or went through social media Instagram whatever like but there they there was something that provoked a thought and maybe that made it a conversation topic. Um, and if we achieve that, then we also can win a lot of trust because then these people can speak to actual people that already use the product, which is, I think, probably always the best way to, to market. So that's definitely related to kind of like the next question. And here, I must say, like when we met the first time already, you surprised me because I didn't need to explain to you why like user level tracking and attribution, which is a great product, is not necessarily a holistic solution for measurement. Now, like the question usually that I ask in this interview series is how did you adapt to the world without an IDFA? But I think you guys were already pretty adapted before that. And uh, maybe like, you know, where is this coming from? Uh, how do you see it? And how have you been like marketing and measuring before, let's say you and I uh, started working together? Um, so, I mean, I think the concept of incrementality was always like there and very important, um, especially uh, when our new uh, director of growth joined and he worked at Netflix previously. So he had this, this concept very much uh, in his head and he basically brought it here to the public and we started talking about it. And once he, he mentioned it, like I, I kind of also drew this connection back to, to my studies in a way and of how, how, how you're supposed to measure. Um, and it, it made so much sense to me because before that we always had these these struggles of attribution models and how do you I don't know allocate um, for first touch point last touch point and it always seemed so random to me like in a way of course like I'm not saying it's wrong per default but there are a lot of people putting a lot of time and effort into this kind of like figuring out what's the reality when really it's it's very hard to get like the absolute reality of, of, of things of like how did a user journey go you'll probably always miss things and as I said before there are also things that happen outside of of the screen like people talking to each other so how, how do you actually measure um and I mean in a way we also depend on IDFA in the sense that we run incrementality studies um, on the platforms and there of course you also need user level tracking so um, we were also affected by that but then this this concept of incrementality was always very present because yeah because it just makes a lot of sense in my opinion um, that yeah you know, it's like when when you so again being in this industry myself for like 20 plus years like four years ago or five years ago I dreamt of building the world's best multi-touch attribution. And indeed, in my mind, it was how do I know that this user indeed went to the store? How do I know if they uh, were affected with, by talking with a friend? How, like, can I use proximity signals? And my mind, when it came to how to solve the measurement problem, went into like a Bluetooth tracking and <laughs> persona tracking and uh, location tracking. And again, living in Germany for eight years, and I think you and I probably know it, and you probably know it better. Germany was always a leader when it comes to user privacy. 
and, and demanded it and people demanded it. And maybe living in this industry for, for quite some time, I was like, sometimes on the one hand, not realizing why do people demand privacy? On the other hand, having moved to Germany and kind of understood a little bit the roots of like, where is this coming from and so on, I started understanding it. So it became clear for me that tracking users to the what the hell they did is not going to be the solution. And the solution is going to be as simple as the marketer from Coca-Cola in the 70s who started a campaign. A couple of days later, looked at their sales report and said, huh, sales went up. Campaign probably worked, which is so much easier than the last 10 years of us trying to dissect connecting points and uh, trying to figure out, you know, is this banner? Is it should we use last touch, uh, first touch, linear, linear decay, or trying to over engineer how we do measurement? Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, online marketing is also very attractive to a lot of people because it gives the sense of control. So th th they feel like they have this absolute control over everything they do and every penny they spend. And it's also interesting, the kinds of conversation we have we have as like our the growth team within Trade Republic of people who worked with performance marketing teams beforehand and they ask for these very specific number like what is the the cost per acquisition for this campaign and this creative and did this one perform better than this one and we say like of course we could like give you a number but it's probably not accurate and probably doesn't reflect the truth um so we much rather focus on something that is it is less accurate, but it's more able to show us a directional sense of where we're heading. And if, if, it's a, if it's a good one, if it makes sense, if it adds value or if it doesn't. And you can get so lost in these details of like the, these tiny nitty gritty numbers. But in the end, I think it's more important and more impactful to actually look at the value that you add on a macro level. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, it's like maybe maybe sometimes it's my fault for being a little bit too honest about my opinions, but incrementality is relative. Like I, we would never, ever create an index of who are the best ad platforms or whatever, because at any given point, any of your ad platforms could be generating value. And at any other given point, they could not be generating value because you're affected by market seasonality. And obviously we know this pretty well and like to attribute all the success and all the growth to a single player when, let's face it, a user doesn't just see an ad and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to trust this brand. I'm going to put all my money in it and trade for life. And it's like, wow, this single ad was incredible in terms of ROI. <laughs> doesn't, it's not how the world works. Yeah. And I mean, I think it depends a bit on the kind of product that you have and how well-known is your brand. So if you do actually, I don't know, the other day I bought this like um, stickers for a bike on Instagram and I don't know, I really like the the stickers and I bought them and I think it's not a very big brand. It's very specific. Um, and I, I do think that there, there are some products that are very straightforward. They're easy to purchase, probably not very expensive. Um, and the brand is not super big because it's very specific, for example. And in those cases, maybe most of your marketing effort is incremental, especially online market, like because like that could be, of course. But then if you think about most big brands and also the, the big spenders, basically, in the industry, and then also, I don't know, like a product like we are, um, you're absolutely right. People don't just look at one ad and then they're like, yes, cool. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and By the way, all their money. Yeah. Stati statistically speaking, probably some people do. 
<laughs> but that's statistically speaking. Yeah, of um, course. But then it's also, ah, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. Let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. So again, when um, from what you say, you started pretty much with the pandemic, and uh, you know you probably have seen a little bit of stats before um, and stats after. Was the pandemic good for fintech products in terms of like marketing, or maybe you don't want to talk about specifically Trade Republic, but you think the pandemic contributed to fintech products? I mean, I think in a way there were two factors that helped make financials or private financials more of a, of a focus for many people during the pandemic. One thing is simply also the, the added time that many people suddenly have. Um, like my flatmate, for example, he started investing in the, the beginning of the pandemic. Like he started reading into it and then he was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I should really invest my money because otherwise it just gets eaten by inflation and I don't get any interest rates. So, and yeah, and he's actually a user of Trade Republic, which is quite nice. And that's that stems from this, this kind of beginning of the pandemic. Um, but then, of course, there was also a lot of movement in the markets and it became a topic and many people felt like, um, now might be a good time to start thinking about uh, what I want to do with my money. Um, so yeah, I would say those two two factors made it more of a topic, which is also good, I think, like from a societal perspective that we started having this conversation more about money because I mean, it depends on the culture probably a bit, but in Germany, it's also a bit of a taboo topic. You don't really say how much money you earn, for example, even with friends, you don't really talk about it. It's like the secret thing that is in the background and many people wonder about it but few people talk about it and yeah yeah i think uh, like again my, my experience a little bit with the german culture is that extremely conservative when it comes to financials and again we see it we see it with uh, you know interest rates on mortgages and we see it with um, interest rates period uh, um, that we get as users so it does make sense to invest let's face it but i think also for the younger generation now who like, you know, want to be able to build a future for themselves, investing is always the right way to leverage your own capital. And I think simplifying it in, in a way, kind of like commoditizing um, investments and not keeping it only to hedge funds and allowing every single person to trade is, um, I wouldn't call it altruistic, of course, you're like privately for profit company, but it's quite an incredible uh, effort um, and uh, investment to put, to give something that's really good for consumers. Yes, and uh, we're definitely a mission-driven company as well. Um, I don't know if you heard about the pension gap already. I think that's also somewhat country-specific, but uh, if, if we're just going to continue like this and the government will continue not doing anything about it, a lot of people will have a very small pension in the end. And starting to invest now for yourself will kind of help you in the future. Um, and I, I'm having many, many interesting uh, discussions with friends and with family um, around why it makes sense to invest. And uh, like, I, for example, my, my father had this epiphany of, well, like now he actually invests a little bit with Trade Republic, which is quite nice. Um, but he was telling me like, yes, I, I had this, this, this fund uh, and it gave, I think, I don't know, two or 3% uh, interest rates. And he was just like, now I understand their business model because of course they are doing what I could have done myself in a way. And they give like a little bit back, but most of the money they keep for themselves. And what a genius business model. Um, but that's hardly ever talked about. So that's how, how this can like continue to be. And of course, I think it makes sense to give more of that money directly to, to consumers and people. 
Now, looking at the marketing technology industry, uh, our industry loves making up buzzwords, trends, keywords, whatever. Sometimes they're real, sometimes they're complete BS. And I wanted to ask you, uh, like, you know, a couple, uh, about some of these terms and th hear your opinions. If you think something is an actual trend you're thinking of, you're looking into, or you think other people should be, or if you think this is complete bullshit, people are just continuously making up. And starting with the first one, uh, influencer marketing. Um, I think it makes sense. I think influencers are people that are trusted. Um, it's it's interesting, sometimes scary to see how much uh, there's like this kind of friendship relationship. But I do think that I also follow some influencers that I really like, and I, I think it makes sense. That's yeah, it's a trust level, I would say. Okay, multi touch attribution. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I already mentioned it briefly beforehand. Um, I think it's somewhat of a false sense of security that is given to people. Um, yeah, I always wonder on which basis those, those models are made and I don't really see, yeah, reason for that one. So no. Media mix modeling? Haven't ever really looked into it. I would like, from what I know, I would think that it makes sense, but I'm honestly like, I don't know too much about it, so. NFT? I mean, I work for FinTech, <laughs> so, but I still like, I would never get one personally i know that a lot of people um yeah might be surprised by that if someone works at trade republic but um i mean i was thinking about this they kind of add value to society if they're actually i don't know able to finance artists for example that do online art so so that's a nice aspect of it but then at the same time i'm not this kind of person that that needs like the certificate of hey <laughs> you got the original and that's pretty much what nfts are like like also with paintings like i'm really happy to get a replica and not the original because i'm i'm just not that rich so <laughs> that's that's all right for me someday someday um very much related the metaverse um i could imagine it taking off but also not unlimited like I, I still I mean I already said it I, I would like to come into the office even and then like meeting people in person and I think the pandemic also taught us that it can be nice doing certain things virtual and you can actually explore and, and do things and I mean we do this a lot right and in, in so many aspects of our life but I think it will never come close to to reality um, so yes I think it could take off more definitely but it will, it will never come as close to like replacing reality for most people. That's what I would yeah, think. Uh, yeah, so, so, you know, personally, like I, I do like parts of the metaverse, not necessarily for gaming, um, more like, like I would be, it would be awesome for me, like the minority style uh, working office with like an unlimited screen where I can drag stuff and watch stuff and like click a button and I, like everything comes up. That would be super efficient for me because like I would say at least 20% of my day gets lost over nonsense. Like, you know, computer is just not reacting to me the way I would like it to react to me. So maybe it's an interface question. So maybe for me, like the metaverse is more like an idea of an interface rather than this Mark Zuckerberg, super cringy, super scary that I definitely would not like, like would not like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, also I've heard there are a lot of cases of harassment actually in the metaverse. It's like this uncontrolled space where people just roam around and like party arrest. But I agree with the work aspect, like that, that could be nice. Yeah, I would say welcome to the internet uh, when it comes to, uh, <laughs> to that. Um, Lucina, what's a random fact about you? Um, random fa- I really like jumping into like cold water. So I do actually, yes. <laughs> um, I do actually like uh jumping into like lakes even in winter and i mean i don't do it super often but when i come by one and i have the opportunity i also the sea like it happened a couple of times that i when i was living close by to the sea i would like go at night and like just jump in and like very briefly i don't go swimming and like chill in the water but i really like the moment basically um but you're like there's this group in berlin that does it in the winter like they'll go to a frozen lake right they'll carve a hole jump in jump out do you do that or you just do it for fun regardless of group and uh, I do it regardless of group actually I don't know if I would I mean probably it's also fun in a group um last time I did it on on New Year's because I was yeah this is tradition in the Netherlands uh, I don't know if you know about it we actually do do that so you go into the sea or a lake uh, on New Year's to I don't know freshen up for the new year uh and i had the idea to do the same so i did yeah i just like the feeling very briefly <laughs> nice i do again like uh, living in berlin so obviously sauna culture and so on i would do it after sauna which i definitely enjoyed it after but uh, without the uh, 15-20 minutes of uh, burning my body and then i wouldn't necessarily do that yeah, I mean, you need to be warm. Otherwise, you, you come out of the water. and But it also, this kind of shock kind of heats you up a bit, I would say. So then then you need to get warm quickly again. Like, you can't just stay wet and, like, in wet clothes, no, for example. That's, that doesn't that's work. That's a pneumonia. Uh, and, Lucina, if people want to follow you digitally, not, not, not like, a, you know, a stalking. If people want to follow you digitally, what's the best way? Uh, LinkedIn, I would presume. I'm not very active on any other platform, so yes cool so it's been a pleasure um by the way thank to whoever gave you this amazing microphone because you sound <laughs> perfect well thank you yeah and thanks for the corporate it uh, function public for the microphone <laughs> we'll have a nice evening and we'll catch up soon yes bye bye